Agencies are lifting mask requirements for fully vaccinated federal employees and contractors. The new guidance comes from the Office of Management and Budget, and it follows last week's announcement from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now with what this could all mean for getting you back to the office. And Nicole, let's start with the guidance itself. Just walk us through it, if you would. Yeah, so the Office of Management and Budget emailed agencies last week, shortly after that CDC announcement, and pretty much described what the policy would be inside federal facilities. And that's if you're fully vaccinated, and you've probably heard this before by now, but that means that if you're two weeks removed from your second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, that you don't have to wear a mask or socially distance inside federal buildings. And that uh, policy applies to employees, contractors, and also visitors, which I thought was interesting as well. And so OMB sent this guidance out to agencies late last Thursday. It appears that more guidance is coming. There is a safer federal workforce task force that the Biden administration created actually on day one of the administration. And that was ultimately supposed to work on the mask mandate policy that it implemented for most agencies. And so OMB says more guidance, more answers to frequently asked questions will come out from that task force soon, potentially, you know, in the coming days here as well. And is there a requirement to bring proof of having been vaccinated? So the OMB guidance does not specifically say that. And individual agencies have all said slightly different things about some of this. So the Defense Department, for example, specified that commanders and supervisors can't ask about your vaccination status. And interestingly enough, they can't use that information to make decisions about telework. A couple of other agencies mentioned that as well, but not all of them. So We saw, for example, the guidance from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and it mentioned, you know, we can't ask about your vaccination status. And they also mentioned that if you are vaccinated and you do still want to wear a mask, you can. And no one should ask you about why you're wearing it. And there shouldn't be any questions necessarily. So agencies are saying different things about some of this stuff. Yes, you've reported that there are individual agencies that have their own kind of take on all this. Give us some examples of what they're saying. So I think, Tom, the point that you just made about whether or not someone can ask you about your vaccination status is probably the biggest uh, I, I won't use the word discrepancy, but you know maybe difference in some of these takes from individual agencies. But besides that, agencies are also talking about what this means for other pandemic policies that they've had in place for over a year now. So I think agencies are pretty much universal in saying that maximum telework is still in effect. This OMB guidance doesn't change that. And if anything, there will be more to come about the telework policy of the federal government and specifically how many employees are allowed to be within a specific federal building. Right now, there's generally a 25% occupancy cap in most buildings, but there are some exceptions here and there. The other thing I would point out is some agencies have said that there could be exceptions made to these new mask requirements, but none of them detail what that really is. The Defense Department, for example, said that commanders or supervisors could make exceptions to ensure a safe workforce, but we don't really know what that means. And of course, agencies are also providing, you know, different uh, kind of pieces of advice on, you know, we encourage you to get vaccinated and that sort of thing. I would point out one major exception, and you would think that this would be the case, and that is the Department of Veterans Affairs. The mask guidelines or requirements have been lifted for VA employees, contractors, and visitors 
in VA facilities, but not in VA healthcare facilities. So, of course, if you go to a VA hospital, you're still going to see masks there. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco. And so summarize, what does this all mean for employees actually coming back to the office? I think agencies are starting to give hints about what this means for them and employees coming back into the office. The National Science Foundation, for example, in its guidance to employees mentioned nothing is changing as far as max telework goes, but they also reiterated that they will not require employees to come back into the office before September 30th, 2021. So they put a definitive date there as to when more word will come down about the requirement to be in the office. At the same time, they mentioned that they're rethinking their entire telework and remote work policy, how they think about it in general. Many agencies are doing that, USDA included. I think we'll hear more from NSF on that. CISA, interestingly enough, started to throw out some dates about when they expect more employees to come back. For right now, telework is mandatory at CISA. In the coming month or so, it sounds as if they're interested in bringing more employees back to get up to that 25% occupancy cap in June. And then later in the summer, they'll bump it up to 50%. And then by September 1st, they're thinking that will be their quote unquote new normal. In that case, that's when completely different telework arrangements will be in place. And I've heard CISA talk about this, and I think they're anticipating a scenario where more people are just teleworking more often in general. And then there's not necessarily going to be real firm requirements about when you need to be there and how often. So agency management then, I guess, and you could say by extension, the administration, they've got a lot of variables to balance here. Medical privacy, what you can mandate people do and not do with respect to their own health measures. Then you've got the CDC guidelines, which are sometimes a little bit difficult to interpret. And then you've got telework policy, office occupancy policy, and how you take care of the office. That's a lot to consider to come up with some kind of a cogent plan, isn't it? It really is. And I think that's why some agencies, frankly, haven't said much at all about this. I'll use the Social Security Administration as an example. Multiple employees reached out to me and said, we received a paragraph from SSA uh, just the other day on Monday and said, That paragraph essentially said, you may have seen the new guidance from CFC about masks and those who are fully vaccinated. We'll continue to follow the government-wide and CDC guidelines, and we're awaiting more guidance from the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force. So not much information there. I think what we may see from that task force is more questions or guidance, you could say, about how to answer some of those concerns that you just brought up. How are you supposed to address somebody who, you know, employees are talking about, oh, I've heard that person isn't vaccinated, but they're not wearing a mask. How do you address those kinds of things? Can you even address them? I think that kind of remains to be seen. And agencies are kind of walking a a tricky line here as they figure out how to bring more employees back to work. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Be sure to check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. 
He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions. Uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it, it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. 
So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute, I think, is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I, I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and the the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the secretary of commerce. And I, I, my office was on the floor at the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet 
and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. And you've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.